Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For Stuff to Blow Your Mind, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Physics of the Future, How Science Will Shape Human Destiny in Our Daily Lives by the Year 2100 by Michio Kaku. Kaku predicts what the world will be like in 100 years based on interviews from over 300 top scientists. From computers to robots to medicine, Kaku predicts an exciting future world. That's Physics of the Future, How Science Will Shape Human Destiny in Our Daily Lives by the Year 2100, available from Audible. To try Audible free today and to get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mindstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash mindstuff. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, if you're listening to this episode, uh, ideally you're listening to it during a holiday season mm-hmm. when this is like a cheerful Kind of a thing, like oh, Santa! It's kind of neat they're doing a Christmas uh, holiday kind of episode. That's awesome mm-hmm. because if you're listening to it in March, you're kind of like oh, this is a Christmas episode, or maybe maybe you even skipped it. I don't know. That's the danger of of seasonally specific episodes. Yeah. But hang on, don't don't leave us if you are listening to this in uh, July or something, because uh, we're getting down to some of the the science or the theoretical science of Santa. Yeah. Um, we have a really good um article or two on the uh, How Stuff Works website that deal with some of this, like how would Santa's sleigh actually work? Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of fun to to take something that's magical, like Santa Claus, and try and translate into the real world. How would Santa Claus travel around the world in a single night? Yeah. How would reindeer pull a sleigh through the air? Um, and one of the big ones, how does he make all those toys? Is it really dependent on um, elf labor? Or is there maybe something a little more sciencey going on? Oh, there's something more sciencey going on for right. sure. Something uh, I dare say dangerous going on, actually. Uh, it could be menacing. Right. We'll talk about it. I mean, it depends on how. Do you think Santa Claus is the right person to command this technology, or uh, I mean, is it safe? Do we need to see about securing it? See, and this is a podcast where we will take you from Santa Claus to the singularity. Didn't think we could do it, but yeah. we will. From Santa Claus to possibly the end of the world mm-hmm. 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 in one night. Let's begin. So, toys. Mm-hmm. If you've ever watched a, like an old-timey Santa Claus film that tries to uh, depict a toy manufacturing facility, mm-hmm. they're generally making really basic toys. Like, well, it's stop animation. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. elves hammering together some stuff. And sometimes it'll be like children only get three or four things. Like mm-hmm. I think like uh, in Santa Claus versus the Martians, it's like there's the doll, there's the bat, there's the, you know, it's... There's not a lot of variety, and mm-hmm. granted, the, the Martian kids didn't need it, but need a lot of variety in their gifts. But uh, but ideally, if you had Santa Claus actually bringing gifts to everyone, he would need a universal constructor. Yes. He would need a device that's not unlike the um, technology you see on Star Trek mm-hmm. when they uh, when they go in and they push a button and any food comes out of their little microwave-like device. Yes. The idea that you would have a machine that could build anything, anything from the bottom up. Anything. Dog food turns into a lovely dress. Right. <laughs> yeah. In theory. In theory. Yeah. They could build everything, any, everything from an iPhone to, um, you know, a wooden horse mm-hmm. to, I don't know, even like a puppy or something. 
because Santa Claus sometimes brings live animals and uh, possibly possibly he can. I'm I'm just thinking about it. We were talking about stem cell uh, generated organs. Why not a, a dog sewn out of that? Um, so basically, to me, it's like a computer version of a golem, a computer that constructs at our bidding, mm-hmm. but does so autonomously. And and this is this is sort of a theoretical framework that we're talking about. But this is something that people want and actually feel it might come into play someday in the future, right? Right. We've uh, we've spoken a little in the podcast episodes about nano manufacturing, mm-hmm. the idea of using nanotechnology and building things from the bottom up at the smallest level. The mm-hmm. idea that if you're if you're building something at a molecular level mm-hmm. um, or an atomic level, the way nature builds things then you can build anything. Right. So the smaller the particle, the more you can manipulate it. Right. It's not like, what can I build out of wood? It's what can I build out, or even what can I build out of uh, some sort of iron um, molecules? You're dealing at an even lower level, like a base level, mm-hmm. to where everything is possible. Mm-hmm. So this is the Universal Constructor. John von Neumann, a Hungar- Hungarian-American mathematician, created a proposal centered around the combination of a Universal Constructor which could make anything it was directed to make, and a universal computer, which could compute anything it was directed to compute. This combination provides immense value because it can be reprogrammed to make any of a wide range of things. Um, so it could do it um, at a very low cost, right, which would be really important. And the ability of the device to make copies of itself which would just simply be a means to achieve low cost rather than the ability to continue to to stamp out versions of itself. Right. Yeah, the, the idea of the, the self-replicating machine especially is is kind of like the holy grail and the uh, also the the ultimate um, nightmare. Uh, right. Because but it's like a, the the holy grail in that that's what life does. I mean lo- the whole point of life as a as a larger concept and not just, you know, goldfish or humans or or cactus. Uh, it it self-replicates. Like its whole programming is to make more copies of itself mm-hmm. and make and pass and make, on its DNA yeah, and make yeah. better copies of itself right. that will continue to uh, to copy and copy and copy uh, forever. So there's two issues with the universal constructor. One is the ability to have this sort of like uh, Ford assembly line on steroids, right? right. To con- continue to punch out products. But then there's the other idea where it it has the self-replicating technology that it just begins to make copies of itself, right? So mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have a universe that's populated by universal constructors. Yes. And I'm jumping ahead a bit much, but just to see where we're going with this idea. Right, because that's the, that's the whole thing. It's like if you had a universal constructor, you could make another universal constructor. Right, and it would be really helpful if you were going to construct the, something like the Dyson sphere, right? Like we've talked about here's this idea about this Dyson sphere, sphere that you could, you know, harness the energy of another planet. You could build another habitat, but you have to have the technology for it. Obviously, you can't send a right. bunch of people up there to do, you know, to to Mars, for instance, to do this. Yeah, and like, especially if you're talking about d- building mega structures too, mm-hmm. uh, be it a an, a particularly enormous skyscraper, a a space um, elevator, mm-hmm. or uh, some sort of structure that you know encloses a star or something. You're talking about taking the mass of planets and and transforming them into, say, you know, carbon nanotubes. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the person who termed it the Santa Claus machine, physicist Ted Taylor, said, quote, it is possible to imagine a machine that could scoop up material, rocks from the moon or rocks from asteroids, process them them inside and produce just about any product, washing machines or teacups or automobiles or starships. Once such a machine exists, it could gather sunlight and materials that it's sitting on, 
and produce on call whatever product anyone wants to name, as long as somebody knows how to make it and those instructions can be given to the machine. I think the name Santa Claus machine for such a device is appropriate. Of course you would. So then, you, again, we, we uh, you've got the guy, John von Neumann, and um, he, he's trying to figure out this hypothetical machine, and he succeeds in figuring it out, uh, at least theoretically, when he found a mathematical model for such a machine with very complicated rules on a rectangular grid. So it's based on a cellular automaton, a mathematical grid of cells that exist in a finite number of states, such as like a on or off position. Okay, and it kind of it comes back to um, I mean the whole the whole thing about nanotechnology. The smaller the building blocks that you use to create something, the more command you have over the the properties of the materials, and then ultimately the things that those materials compose. Right. And, uh, I mean, this has really taken off, uh, especially in the 70s. People took this idea and they sort of ran with it, this cellular automaton. And, in fact, there's something called Conway's Game of Life, and this was created by British mathematician John Horton Conway. He created the Game of Life based on cellular automaton described by John von Neumann. A person essentially interacts with a model by creating an initial configuration and then observes how it evolves. Mm-hmm. So, and this isn't a mathematical model, right? We're talking about computer science here. And it's really cool because it's a, it's been a crowdsourcing sort of event. Uh-huh. And people have created some really amazing theoretical models based on this. And what he did is he took this idea that uh, von Neumann had and he created simple rules rather than complex rules. Okay, mm-hmm. so he made sort of a miniature version of this. Um, and the simple rules lead to emergence or self-organized structures. And current developments have gone so far as to create theoretic emulations of com- computer systems within the confines of a life board. And Conway chose his rules really carefully. He said, one, there should be no explosive growth in these models. Okay, There should exist small initial patterns with chaotic, unpredictable outcomes. There should be potential for a von Neumann universal constructor, mm-hmm. constructor right? Because that's really the, the, the end all of what we want to get to here. The rules should be as simple as possible whilst adhering to all the above constraints. Okay, this is a gigantic thought experiment <laughs> that eventually uh, could get us to a place where it would have real-world applications, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, cognitive scientist Daniel Dennett has used the analog of Conway's life universe extensively to illustrate the possible evolution of complex philosophical constructs such as consciousness and free will from um, this sort of simple set of deterministic physical laws that govern our own universe. So there's this idea that that free will consciousness was is a self-organizing principle based on simple rules. Ah. Yeah. Which means that I don't know, you know, too much we talk about this all the time, but you know, whether or not free will really exists. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's uh these simple rules and only certain amount of outcomes are possible, then is it really free will? So again, this whole idea of universal constructor, heavily theoretical, thought yes. experiment. But what if it actually did exist, right? What, what right. if we actually were able to create a machine? That not could, in our lifetime. But not in our lifetime. Let's say nanotech- and not us. Not, yet, not you se. and I creating yeah. this little mm-hmm. thing. But, uh, but yeah, let's say nanotechnology really takes off next 100, 200, 300 years. Right. We end up, uh, the, the amount of freedom that we have over what we can do at the nanoscale, the things that we can make, eventually reaches the point where we can make virtually anything. Out of anything. Out of anything. I mean, it all comes down. You cannot matter. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. Mm-hmm. It cannot be transferred. So you would have to have matter to transform into more matter. It's kind of like your 
your dog has to eat something if it's going to go to the bathroom, right? I mean, it, right. it's just transfer, right? Uh, the uh, an atomic explosion is is matter becoming energy uh, and, and all this. So for this machine to work, you would have to say, uh, all right, Santa, Santa has this, right? He needs to make toys. Mm-hmm. So he has the elves bring in, uh, I don't know, uh, a mountaintop that they've uh, harvested. Right. And they put the mountaintop in a machine. And now he can transfer X amount of mass into X amount of presence. The mass is the same. Right. I don't know. He might lose or gain some energy in there somewhere. But I mean, he could even throw an elf in there. I mean, I'm not <laughs> trying to get dark, but that's that's really what we're talking about, a society where every raw material could be repurposed to make a finished good hmm. with this universal constructor. Um, so what happens to big box retailers, right? Um, presumably they become extinct. They become a small box. Really. <laughs> they become yeah. the right that sits right next to And there's only one you. small box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it also kind of begs the question about what happens to original design or even intellectual property. Right. Right. Because what we're talking about here again is, is, uh, mass production, mm-hmm. uh, the ability to, to take almost anything and not, not only just feed it to a machine and, and get something on the other side, but the design elements would have to be in there. I can't help but think about MySpace in, in, in this. Okay. Um, remember how, I don't know if you were ever on on the MySpace back in the day. Uh, no, I wasn't, but I I'm familiar with it, and right, what, I I know the sort of um, well, it seems like it's, the web ridden uh, cave that it is now. Yeah. Well, you remember how? Uh, some of you may remember how it started off. It seemed like all the profiles were pretty clean, mm-hmm. and I don't know if people were. I don't remember if people were um, were given the power to change and customize their profiles over time. Or if they merely learned how to do it, mm-hmm. or probably a mix of column A and column B, but emergence. It, yeah, it got to the point where people's profiles were just unreadable because mm-hmm. they were they were adding like glitter script and <laughs> changing the fonts and the background and adding animations and video and sound, and it just became a nightmare. To where you'd like go to somebody's profile and it would like crash the the the, the computer or or your brain just trying to look at it. Right. So. Th- you know, and Facebook has uh, been uh, pretty ingenious and has avoided a lot of that by limiting what you can do to the profile. It's you the Conway's only... game of life. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, How simple so? rules, yeah? right? Oh, yeah, 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 simple rules. But the constraints are pretty, yeah. Yeah. If you, you give people enough creative uh, rope, they are going to hang themselves mm-hmm. and create a, an unreadable profile. So the idea of a universal constructor where there there is no big box, there's, no, there's basically no mass production anymore, mm-hmm. do people end up just... Having horrible things that they've custom designed. Are you talking about like the Etsy of of? Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to say that a lot of Etsy is good, but if anybody has ever gone to regretsy.com, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The regretsification of life itself. Exactly. Yes. It's yeah. possible there could be like uh you know pink boas coming. I don't know where pink boas came from, but generally they're not. I think they they were invented design. by uh, Jesse Ventura. Oh actually. yeah yeah yeah. 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 Um. Nice. You got your wrestling uh, thing in there. But so, anyway, yeah, I mean, there's this idea that there could be a lot of bad design. And not only that, that you would spend your life feeding the machine with whatever resource you had. Yeah. And then here's where things get particularly dark. If the machines start to self-replicate, which at point at that point they'd be able to, right? Uh-huh. Okay, because we're talking in the, the, the far, far away land. The mission of a self-replicating robot would be, you know, to continue to create versions of itself and then you need more energy and matter to do this. It's interesting because we end up in like a matter economy or a mass economy. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, currency is now dirt or or whatever 
material you can find. And not only that, you have a population that could be, you know, much more machine dominated than human dominated. And mm-hmm. that's where the singularity always comes in, right? Yeah. So, I mean, basically what I'm talking about here is an Armageddon that could be ushered in by machines that are just gobbling up all the resources, including us. Right. So let's go back to the North Pole. You're at Santa's, uh, it, well, Are you trying to take it to the nice place again? No. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go through the nice place to the dark okay. place. But all right. So it's Santa's uh, laboratory, his workshop, uh, however you want to look at it, because all it has in it is that universal manufacturing device, mm-hmm. this, uh, this uh, nano manufacturing wonder machine. Right. And Santa's taken off early because he's a little tired, and he's left one elf in charge, and the elf uh, does something wrong with the settings. Mm-hmm. Like he uh, he all accidentally right. flips it over, or he he spills a little uh, eggnog on the keyboard. And it goes haywire. Mm-hmm. So suddenly it's making a copy of itself that is that suddenly makes a copy of itself and it's making a copy of itself and it's self replicating without end. It's like a it's like a cancer cell, except it's transferring matter and suddenly elves are disappearing right and left as they're sucked into the machine. Mm-hmm. Then the then it's like ice and polar bears. And then uh, where does it end? We end up with this gray goo scenario, right? This is the nano apocalypse, the idea that you could create nano machines yeah. or some sort of a nano manufacturing device that ends up transforming all available matter into itself to where it's just a nothing but nano machines everywhere. It's just a, a what looks like gray goo covering the entire earth and eventually is the earth. Well, and that's the interesting part of uh, this, right, is that there's this ability to imitate. So it's very possible that all of a sudden you have machines that are able to imitate us, imitate mm-hmm. uh, flora, fauna, and you know what I'm saying? It's not just replacing of the human being or even using humans as um, as fuel, but uh, but just sort of taking over the earth in, in as many ways as possible. Well, indeed, you could go crazy on this and say that this uh, apocalyptic Christmas that we're describing <laughs> actually happened millions of years ago. Oh. And then after the Grey Goose scenario uh-huh. occurred, uh-huh. the Grey Goose like, reformed itself into some approximation of uh, 21st century life. All right, kids, I know you're, you're shaking your head. It's not going to happen. But <laughs> we, we're talking about you know nanotechnology. We're talking about nanocarbon tubes that are 100 times stronger than steel. And just tinier than a thread of hair. Yeah, the seeds have already been planted. It's just a question of how big will the nano tree grow and will it consume the earth? Happy holidays! Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's call the robot over here. Uh, surely we have time for a quick uh, quick listener mail from the uh, mail folder. You won't call the robot Arnie, will you? I'm, I'm still warming up to the idea that this robot is a person. Okay. So this one says, Dear Santa... Oh, this is a Santa letter. I mean, these are all Santa letters. Oh, wait. Take this back, Arnie. Sheesh. All right. Okay, now I have the right folder. Here's one from Robert. Uh, Different Robert, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yes, not not me. Mm -hmm. Um, Robert M. Dear me. Uh, Hi, Robert and Julie. I'm sitting in my car right now. Don't panic. I got to work early. I love the podcast, and I'm currently listening to the quest for cyber immortality. And I just want to let you know that I have seen this concept twice in fiction, both times to very creepy effect. The first example is in the Orson Scott Card novel, Speaker of the Dead, which I I actually just finally bought that the other day for like a nickel. I love used bookstores. Um, In this story, the protagonist goes through the universe, uh, effectively living hundreds of years via relativistic travel, and seeks out the dead whose memory is being perverted. He does uh, he does extensive research with the help of a galaxy-spanning AI and then performs a ceremony in which he represents the dead person as accurately and fairly as possible. The second example is from Doctor Who. 
Let's be honest. Uh, what haven't they done? Anyway, in the episode Forest of the Dead, astronauts' consciousnesses are briefly preserved in their communications equipment, a phenomenon called ghosting. I find it interesting that there are these two opposite ideas about memory, the terrifyingly tragic ghosting and the catharsis of speaking for the dead. They make me wonder uh, whether any middle ground is possible there. Thanks for reading, and if you use this in the show, give a shout-out to my friend Matt for recommending the podcast. Thanks. And indeed, thanks, Matt, for yeah. turning your friends on to our podcast. So word of mouth, that's uh, the big way it uh, spreads, like like nanoparticles, self-replicating. Or viruses. Yeah. Some. So <laughs> if you have some holiday cheer you would like to share with us or something about the end of the world or just, just some general ramblings about uh, – I mean, the big thing about our, uh, I love about our podcast is the idea that it gets people's brains moving and, and gets people uh, thinking about the, the philosophical or futuristic implications of yep. the subject. So, Which gets us percolating. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So share it with us. You can find us on Facebook as Stuff to Blow the Mind. And uh, our handle on Twitter is Blow the Mind. And you can always write a letter to Santa, send it to us, and we'll forward it on. And you can do that at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. To try Audible free today and to get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mindstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash mindstuff. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Tomorrow.